0: All right, Team Pella, listen up. Thanks, John Kuhn. Customers love our products with limited lifetime warranties. Check out these big plays. Incredible innovations like blinds and shades between the glass.
1: No interference on that play, Coach.
0: And stylish windows with hidden screens that make game days a breeze. Can it get any better? It can. With monthly payments as low as $19 per window, $75 per patio door, and a free quote at PellaWI.com. Let's go. 6.99 APR for 120
2: months. service restrictions supplies. to show up for details. Offers on 2023
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank talk and text line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's
3: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Fall is definitely in the air and starting to pull out my fall clothes. You can check that out. You can listen to us, of course, the old-fashioned way over terrestrial radio or stream us. But also, we've got cameras all over the studio. And I know a number of people watch as well. So you can tune in uh, to our live stream. You can do that by going to YouTube. We've got our own YouTube channel. Put in WTMJ and watch live. Or just go to WTMJ.com, click the watch live button. And again, I'm starting to dig out the fall clothes. I think summer is gone. Not saying we might not get... Couple of days in the 60s or 70s yet, but I, I think we're kind of turning the corner, and that's certainly what the long-range forecast look looks like. I um I talked on Friday, Thursday or Friday about the the passing of my dear friend Mark Brickman. As a matter of fact, I'm off tomorrow attending um his, his the visitation and and some of the services. But Mark was my go-to guy in talking about the Jewish experience in. Uh, In Milwaukee, in particular, Wisconsin, in in the United States, been to Israel over 50 times. He he raised tons of money for um, Israel, and um, one of the things I I always regret we always talked about. He talked about wanting to take my wife and I on a trip to Israel, and and it just we we were never able to get it get that that together. But he was my guy. Whenever there was stuff that went on in the Middle East, I I would call up and I'd say, okay, give me. Give me the common sense perspective on this. What is going on and, and what, what does this mean, etc.? And I very much, I was thinking of him this weekend because after the announcements of the terrorist attack on the state of Israel, and that's what it was, I, I Mark would have been my first phone call, and um, I, I missed not being able to do that. Let us review the state of war that exists in the Middle East. And I understand on this program, um, my, my emphasis, I, I, I always prioritize talking about local issues, because I think that has the most impact to us. And then I talk about national issues, but I also try to tie those national issues into why it what it means for for us in southeastern Wisconsin. And then there is the international issues that can have a dramatic effect on us as well. And this is certainly one of those. For anybody has not been paying attention what happened over the weekend is Hamas, which is the terrorist Group, and that's what they are. They are a militant group that governs the Gaza Strip. They, with the blessing of Iran, Iran, the country that we just authorized $6 billion in ransom to be paid to in exchange for the return of a handful of uh, U.S. citizens, in any event, they, they launched a brutal attack on Israel. Hundreds and hundreds of people dead, people beheaded. Hundreds, including Americans dead, people beheaded, and there's um, a number of videos of some of that stuff circulating, and hundreds of people taken hostage at, as well, um, including, I mean, we're talking about non-combatants. We're talking about men, women, elderly, children taken hostage. Now, let's, before we can discuss this, I think it's important to kind of go back and, and understand where we are historically. You have a large part of the, the world, and in particular the Middle East, that has never recognized or wanted the existence of Israel, and they have been committed to the destruction of Israel as a country. In 1967, you've got to go back to 67, in what's referred to as the, the Seven-Day War, what happened is Egypt and Syria invaded Israel. And, uh, you know, much the same way, in some, some respects, very, very similar to what happened over the weekend. Israel responded, pushed back. And as a result, what happened is Israel captured and occupied a lot of territory beyond the uh, original boundaries of Israel, including the West Bank, Gaza, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Golan Heights. Um, as a result of this, you had hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who were displaced as a result of this. So since 1967, you've had these battles that have been going on. The Palestinians want to reclaim their, their homeland. They want to take back that space. And, of course, you've got all sorts of people that are committed to the ultimate destruction of Israel. Hamas, which is known as the Islamic Resistance Movement is a militant group that governs the the Gaza Strip. And this is a 25-mile-long, densely populated city, more than 2.1 million people. And Hamas is, of course, committed to armed resistance against Israel and aims for the creation of a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. So they want to take back Jerusalem, and they want to, again, Re-establish the borders of Israel being where it was prior to this 1967 war, and, and so that—that's—that's that's what's going on. Hamas is funded by Iran and supported by Iran. Now, Hamas launched, like I say, this vicious surprise attack, which raises questions about, you know, how could they do a surprise attack? on Israel now Israel is declared a state of war and and they are responding and you have one of the things that goes with Hamas is they operate out of civilian buildings I mean it's not like it's an army its It's again, these are radical militants. I think it's fair to describe them as terrorists, but they operate out of they operate out of mosques. They operate out of apartment buildings. It's not like there's an army base. And so what's happening is Israel is now retaliating for these attacks. And as a result, you have Hamas, you know, militants who are being killed, but you also have civilians that are being killed as a result of this as, again, Israel is pushing back and pushing back hard. This invasion, these attacks would not have happened without the blessing of Iran. One of the other things that's going on is the Biden administration has been pushing, uh, essentially like a, a, a peace treaty of, of sorts between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Why does that matter? Well, the thinking has been that if Saudi Arabia, you know, comes into this picture, one of the things that they will do is they will use their resources to help support groups other than Hamas in, on the Gaza Strip, which could cause Hamas to lose power, and some of these other less militant, less violent groups could take over. So Hamas doesn't want to see that happen. And obviously by invading Israel and Israel's response, it makes it more questionable as to what Saudi Arabia is going to do. Meanwhile, you have a number of surrounding countries who are applauding this because they want to see the destruction of Israel – in essence, you, you've got a complete and total mess. And now what you have going on worldwide is you have really kind of an access of evil, as it were. You've got Russia, which is launching unjustified attacks against the Ukraine. You've got China, which is talking, you know, um, in a very bellicose fashion against Taiwan. You've got Iran, which which I obviously felt emboldened enough to authorize Hamas to attack Israel, and you don't know what, in fact, is going to happen next. So that's where we stand, Israel fighting back after this vicious attack that killed, like I say, hundreds of citizens. There's Americans that are dead as a result of this. And it's if it's not a mess, it will do till the next mess gets here. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. This is one of those times where I guess I don't have a specific question, and I certainly don't have a defined answer as to where we go from here. But um, this, this is not good. That is an understatement in the extreme. What should the U.S.'s position be with regard to this? The Biden administration has moved warships closer to the Middle East, um, apparently the Prime Minister of Israel was on a phone conversation with Joe Biden on Saturday, and he said, "Look, that we're we're not talking truce at this point in time. We have been attacked, and we are going to retaliate." The Israel philosophy for the last you know half a century has been strength through deterrence, and when they are attacked, they respond in kind and more as an effort to deter other countries from um, trying to do this. And, of course, part of the problem that Israel has is you can talk truce, but you have these organizations that are committed to the destruction of Israel. That's what they exist for, to try to eliminate Israel as a country. And clearly the United States cannot allow that to happen. But what should the U.S. do? Where does this go? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, 8556161620 which is the old National Bank talk and text line let us be honest what happened over the weekend in Israel was Israel's 911 i mean that's that's it it was a vicious surprise attack and i think it's fair to say how 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 did the us miss this How did Israeli intelligence miss the fact that you had to have bulldozers and paragliders and all these things massed along the borders? How did the intelligence failure – why was the failure so bad – that led this to happen but let's I mean let's understand what went on here you know you, you had vicious wide-scale attacks against Israelis who were sleeping at their homes waiting in bus stops going to the synagogue living in nursing homes um, and then again the Palestinians are posting videos of people being beheaded my god this is medieval in this response and I, I think you know the reality is that now, you know, maybe we're going to start to learn the lesson. And th- this might be a lesson for the American left, who for the longest time has viewed, oh, the, the Palestinian is-, is being, okay, these-, these are poor, downtrodden individuals who are being, you know, mistreated by Israel. Well, you, you actually see what the governing group, this Hamas organization is, and, and that is, uh, again, a group of terrorists who are willing to act out in this fashion. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think Israel has the right to respond in full force to this terrorist attack to protect its country and citizens. It is comparable to the 9-11 attack, slaughtering innocent people and going after non-military targets. The established press should call this what it is, a terrorist attack. Jeff, note that this is the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, right? That was the 1967 attack. Um, so perhaps that was the goal of the timing. Worldwide intelligence clearly was not thinking similarly. Well, um, you know, that's I, I think that's a, an important Factor. Um Jeff. I wonder how the Republicans will support Israel versus how they want to support Ukraine. Well, that's going to be interesting. I mean, there. I, I would hope that this is a situation where everyone in Congress can come together and recognize that you know Israel is pretty much the only democracy in the Middle East deserves our support. Now, that's not to say that I think U.S. planes should be you know flying fighter missions or things like that. And I, by the way, think Israel is quite capable of defending itself. And and that's what they intend to do. They've already declared a a complete siege of of Gaza. They are are pushing back. And uh, unfortunately here, the loss of civilian life on both sides is going to be absolutely catastrophic, a large part of that, again, because Hamas the militant organization that controls the Gaza Strip, supported by Iran. Did I mention that before? The same Iran that we're just authorizing $6 billion in oil money to be freed up to, supported by Iran. Um, again, what they do is they house themselves in civilian operations. It's not like there's army bases. So if Israeli intelligence says, okay, this is a mosque that they're operating out of, they're going to go ahead and strike the mosque. And unfortunately, that means there's going to be civilian um you know, uh, casualties that are there. Jeff, why does America have to be the world's keeper? So that's an interesting question. The, the idea being, do we care? Um, for forgetting the millions and millions of Americans Jews with, with ties to Israel. You know, should we care? Should we care if the Arab nations band together and wipe Israel off the face of the earth? Should we care if in the attacks on Israel you have Mar- Americans, dozens, hundreds, thousands, whatever, of Americans who are killed as a result of that? Does the U.S. have no interest in maintaining a democracy? And I, I guess I think the answers to that are are self-evident, that's that's why we should care, because we have an interest in stopping rogue nations like Iran. And make no mistake, Iran is what is behind this attack. They are who? That is the country that is behind this attack. Make no mistake, we have an interest in not allowing them to, I don't know, destroy Israel, because, again, you know the next step is going to be, let's see if we can figure out how to repeat 9-11. Let's um, talk to Diane in Milwaukee. Diane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Diane. Diane? I,
4: I've been watching. The, yes, Go I'm ahead. here. Can you hear I, me? I
3: can hear you. Go ahead. You're on the air.
4: Okay. Um, I said thank you so much. Uh, you're right on target in what's happening in the Middle East. And uh, we should absolutely, every single US citizen should be worried about their freedom and, and the cost of it here. But what happened was Hamas, no wonder they were quiet over the last year. They were busy building up this this attack mm-hmm. and uh financed by you know, some people say, "Well, the six billion that we gave them for those hostages, you know, is tied up for humanitarian." Blah 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 blah. Well, that doesn't stop them from using their oil revenues, which they've done, to to back Hamas while they're building up uh, their strength in the Middle East. But also, Saudi Arabia people didn't talk and think about this long and hard. How Saudi Arabia Affects Our Economy, Saudi Arabia comes out last week and says we will no longer ta- have the U.S. dollar be the currency that is used for oil. I went, yeah.
5: what? Yeah.
1: Yep.
4: that's big- We built those darn oil fields, you know, decades ago, and you're not going to have the, well, guess what, the dollar tanked. And, but nobody really talked about that, the consequences. That's economic war in my book. But also, Saudi Arabia has been financing Hamas. You know, they give them money. Well, they need this, and they need humanity. Baloney. Diane,
3: thank, I'm, Diane thanks a lot for the call. I mean, I, you know, it's – and, of course, part of this also is, again, as I go, go back to say – Biden, the the U.S. government has been trying to broker a a deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. That also has Hamas scared that Saudi Arabia might support less, less militant, less terroristic groups to govern to govern um, to govern Gaza. And so that that I think is part of it. But going back to one of the things you said that I I couldn't agree with. I couldn't agree with more. The, the idea that I, Hamas has obviously been preparing for this for months, if not years. And I think the one question is how how can you do that? how could how could this be such a complete and total failure of, first of all, Israeli? Um, intelligence gathering that you didn't notice this type of thing that, that was going to occur, and then you know where is the U.S. because the U.S. is supposed to be monitoring this stuff as well. I mean, it reminds me of 9/11. If you want, if you want an example that goes back several decades, let, let's go back to the, the Vietnam War, and during Vietnam, you had the Tet Offensive. This is where as right at the point in time where I think lots of people in the US this would have been 1968 I believe you know people thought that it was stabilizing all of a sudden you had this incredible you know series of attacks all throughout uh, all throughout South Vietnam which I think demonstrated quite clearly that, that the US did not have things as under control as they thought but this was another example where how could you have missed this happening, and yet they did. If nothing else, it shows, it shows the necessity and the need to you know monitor the type of stuff that is going on in the world and you know, the value of intelligence gathering. Because candidly, I gotta believe that if Israel had any indication that something this scale was building up, they would have taken steps to to stop it before um, hundreds of people lose their lives. They beheaded people. They beheaded people, for God's sake. Let's talk to Louise in Cedarburg. Louise, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
5: Theodore Roosevelt said this back in 1900, and that was, speak softly and carry a big stick. The only... Thing that these terrorists in these countries understand is who's got the biggest stick and who's going to come after them. They think that any kind of weakness or let's all be friends is is uh, weakness. They don't care. They want their way. They're going to do whatever they can for Iran to take the money that we gave them back. This, which is what they're using for all this stuff, is absurd. We've got to stand up. This country's got to stand up and be tough. Israel's going right back at them, and they will do that. They'll go right back at them, and we need to stand firm and, and, and back them and, uh, uh, and just be tough. Uh, Reagan had to do this way back when, if you remember, when uh, 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 with the hostages. When they knew that Reagan was coming in and he was going to stand up, what happened? The hostages were let go. Yep. We've got to show the world that we are not weak. And as soon as the group knows that we are weak, here they come. So I think this country, our Congress, needs to stand up and say enough is enough, and uh, well, and do whatever we can to support Israel, and the other countries who support should be supporting Israel,
3: too. Well, thanks for the call, Louise. I, I guess, I mean, here, here's the, I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, look, the Middle East has been a mess for centuries, and I don't think any of us, at least I'm certainly not smart enough to know what the ultimate answer is. I do know, though, that when you have, in, in this case, Hamas, which is is dedicated to the destruction of Israel that that's that's what this is all about Israel does not have a right to exist as a country that's the argument that Hamas makes That it's not it's tough to sort of broker deals when you have these organizations and organizations that are supported by at least a portion of the the Arab world one of the most distressing things to me about what's happened over the last couple days has been watching some of the international news coverage where you have some of the countries in this region that are applauding these sort of attacks. Now, by the way, I, I want it, to it's, – it's tough to make an equivalent. Do I think that Israel, over the course of the last decade in particular, has handled the Palestinian situation in the best of fashion? No, I think that there's criticism to be had. But that's – you've got to understand that they do that – Knowing that you've got this terrorist organization which is out to destroy them, so you know what do you, you know what what do you do when you have to deal with this situation? Look, I'm not smart enough to know what the ultimate answer is, but I mean one of our texters makes a great point, and this answers the point of for people who say, well, why do we care about this in this country? beyond just the the millions of Jewish Americans who who live here with ties to Israel and the fact that it is a democracy in a part of the world that badly needs democracy. But, you know, one of our texters says, Jeff, it's a tragedy and a huge deal. Within weeks, we could be in a major war. I'm thinking China, I'm sure China is thinking about hitting Taiwan. Russia could come up with attacks on Ukraine. And all of a sudden we have several things that um, are going on at once. Um. Yes, I mean, I think that there is an example of that. Jeff, money, fungible. Money is a fungible commodity. The statement that the $6 billion will only be used for humanitarian purposes is foolish. That frees up other money for mischief-like attacks on Israel, right? And that's a point a lot of us made at the time. The Biden administration says we're going to free up $6 billion, and, but don't worry, it's going to be um administered by the country of Qatar and, and they're going to make sure that Iran only gets it to use for humanitarian purposes. Well you know once Iran gets the money, what, what's it going to do? But regardless, he's the texture is right. It is fungible. So if you've got $6 billion in your left pocket and, you know, um, $6 billion in your right pocket. Well, okay, if the money in your left pocket now has to be used for food and clothing and things like that, that frees up more money in your right pocket to be used against for things like supporting Hamas. This is, it's a major issue. I wish I had, I, I wish I had, you know, answers and solutions. It's been a problem for years and years, but this attack which I I know, at least I firmly believe, was orchestrated by Iran, timed um, in connection to try to defeat the agreements with Saudi Arabia. I I don't know where it ends. Israel pushes back. There's no question about it. Ultimately, militarily, does Israel win? Absolutely. Is the toll on civilians both in Israel and on the Gaza Strip and surrounding areas, is that going to be immense? It it is as well. But Israel was attacked. We have an interest. And if you're trying to decide, no, whose side you should be on in this particular case, I will tell you, sometimes, you know, reasonable people can disagree. This is one where it's very, very clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And the good guys are in Israel now responding to this brutal attack. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff, nothing over in the Middle East will change until the evil pariah nation of Iran is addressed. Iran funds a good majority of the terrorism over there. Until you cut off the head of the snake, nothing will change. Oh, and Iran is this close to having a nuclear bomb. You don't think that they will give that to Hamas? Well, yes, that is the that is the scary situation. Jeff, if America has an alliance with whomever and a rogue nation attacks them, then they are in some way attacking us. We keep showing weakness every time this happens. Well, I I don't know that I agree that we're showing weakness. I actually think, and you can mark the tape on this, while I think the Biden presidency in so many levels has been a disaster, I think the Biden approach to Ukraine has been absolutely correct. We've managed to keep NATO united. We've managed to expand NATO. Ukrainians are fighting Russian invasion on Ukraine soil. There's not American involvement as far as troops. Yes, I think the investment in money, and I say this, I think some of the hard right Republicans who are pushing to cut back funding in, for Ukraine, I think that is completely and totally misguided because, you know, if Russia takes over Ukraine, Poland's going to be next. Somewhere else is going to be next. And then we get drawn into the conflict automatically because of the NATO membership. So I think Biden has handled this appropriately. Now, as far as what's going on in the Middle East, I I don't know. But I mean, do I think that the U.S. should be directly involved? No. And like I say, I think I think that the United I think Israel can, in fact, take care of itself militarily. But the U.S. pressure should be on neighboring nations, making sure that they stay out of it. One of our texters says, "Hey, maybe it's time to just take out Iran." Well, that's a whole different story. I, I mean, no, do would I ad, would I advocate an invasion of Iran, Iran? Absolutely not at this point in time. But Iran has been a an international problem child for decades, and it's going to. You know, we have to figure out ways to keep Iran contained and that's one of the reasons I would argue freeing up six billion dollars in air quotes if you're watching me on the YouTube channel freeing up and giving Iran six billion dollars in so-called humanitarian aid was not a way of keeping them controlled Jeff I'm worried about Iran or another country using a large weapon or God forbid a nuclear bomb against Israel because they are fighting back and destroying Hamas they know America is weakened, with Joe Biden openly saying that the military is short of ammunition and other blunders. They know America will hesitate to defend Israel, and that gives our enemies an advantage. Well, I, th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of missteps that I think you can argue that America has made over the last few years. Bailing on Afghanistan was, I think, something that Joe Biden did which we're now starting to see, I'll use the cliche, the chickens come home to roost. Because once America bailed on Afghanistan... It showed that we were not going to support our allies. And that, I think, you can argue whether that was the intent or not, but that's clearly how people, I think, interpreted it. If you want to fault Trump, I think Trump's America first and only policies, where he was talking about withdrawing from NATO and we shouldn't be the policemen of the world, are it, it, If nothing else, it sent a message to some of these aggressor countries that America was no longer going to act as the one superpower remaining in the world and try to maintain world stability. Because there's a couple of texters saying, well, what's the interest? What do we care if Russia invades Ukraine? What do we care if Iran destroys Israel? Well, we we should care a lot for a lot of different reasons. But I understand there is this segment of people out there that just don't think globally at all and don't understand why it is in our interest to have Ukraine fighting Russia in on Ukraine soil, why they don't understand why it's our interest to have you know, Israel existing as a democratic country. And I think that attitude has served to weaken the United States as well because we no longer stand as the nation's superpower um, or at least— this moral authority that we used to claim to try to keep rogue nations in order, um, we, no, we no longer have that. And I think there's uncertainty as to what we are willing to do. And again, I'm not arguing for committing troops into the Mideast. Israel doesn't need that. What we should be doing is trying to at least broker arrangements where the some of the principal actors in the Mideast, some of the, the countries, You know, we make sure that they stay out of this and Israel will be able to take care of business itself. But it's just this was 9-11. This was 9-11 for Israel, and it dramatically affects all of us. All right, back with much more. Let's change topics in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Well, we live in interesting times, I guess. All right, here is, here is the latest update, and there, there have been a, just an explosion of hit and runs around here. The, the two things that I think over the last couple of years, if you would ask me about crime trends beyond just the, the dramatic increase over the last few years um, in, of crime, compared to, say, five years ago or 10 years ago in, in general, it would be the, the number of people who now routinely flee from the police. And we talk about that all the time. It just seems like everybody now decides that they want to run from police and take their chances. The other issue would be the number of hit and runs that are out here. And, and again, here's, here's going to be the interesting thing about consequences. This is a report on Fox 6. A Milwaukee teenager is charged with hit and run and other crimes after a January fatal crash on the city's north side. Now, first of all, kudos to investigators that they did not let this one go. The the incident occurred in January. Here we are in October, but they brought the charges. Prosecutors said 17-year-old Octavian Jackson was driving a stolen car and didn't have a valid driver's license at the time. Okay, so how many times do we hear this story, stolen car, didn't have a valid driver's license at the time? Criminal complaint states the car was reported stolen January 28th from the area of 35th and North. Two days later, on January 30th, the stolen car was found abandoned at the fatal crash scene near 27th and Belit. Belit. A 65-year-old man died, and a 26-year-old man was hurt. The stolen car had front-end damage, and a red taxi with heavy damage to its passenger side was nearby pushed off the road, through a fence, and into the snow. The complaint says the 65-year-old man was ejected from the taxi as a result of the stolen car hitting it at a high rate of speed. The 26-year-old, who was the taxi driver, was trapped inside and later taken to a hospital. So you got the stolen car driving like a bat out of you-know-what, slams into the taxi, 65-year-old man is killed, he's a passenger in the backseat. Surveillance video of the crash. Show two people get out of the car and run away. Surveillance video of the crash. So show two people get out of the stolen car and run away. We've slammed into this car. We've created major damage. Somebody is dead. We may or may not know that, but we don't care. We're going to run away. The complaint says neither person checked on the victims before running off. Yeah, well, that's typical. The complaint says police tried to pull over the stolen car for speeding near 27th and Meineke just before the crash. The driver ran a red light, hit the taxi. The stolen car's airbag control module found the car was driving 80 miles per hour seconds before the impact. Uh, authorities collected DNA evidence from the driver's side airbag. The DNA evidence was sent to the state crime lab. The complaint states there was a mixture of four different people in the airbag, one of whom was Octavian Jackson. Police interviewed Jackson after getting the report, and the complaint states he admitted he had been driving the stolen car. He did not mention police trying to pull him over, but said he was blowing his horn to get people out of the way because the brakes didn't work. He also admitted he ran off after the crash. Court filing indicates the teen has never been issued a driver's license. 17 years old, driving without a license, of course, stolen car, of course, runs from the cops, of course, runs a red light, of course, hits a taxi, kills one of the occupants, seriously injures the other, of course, and then flees like the coward that he is. All right. Now, because he is a juvenile, we do not know what his prior record was. In other words, we don't know if this is the first time that he was in a stolen car driving without a license, but I'm willing to bet you all the money in my pocket versus all the money in my producer Samantha's pocket. And she, by the way, doesn't carry cash. I am willing to bet all that money that this was not this kid's first time at the rodeo. You won't wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go out, and if he didn't steal a car, drive a stolen car, flee from the cops, run red lights, hit and kill somebody, and then flee. I'm willing to bet that this was part of an ongoing pattern of criminal behavior. Again, because he's a juvenile, we're never going to know that for sure. But this is why being soft on people, assuming he's been through the criminal justice system before, this is one of the things that indicates why going soft on folks who commit these crimes, car theft, driving without a license, etc we are not doing them any favors and we're not doing us any favors. And here's the final detail. Jackson made his initial court appearance on Saturday, October 7th, he had a cash bond set at the amount of thirty thousand dollars. Okay, um, all right. Well, good news is thirty thousand dollars. He's probably not going to be able to make that unless somebody comes forward and puts up their house, etc. At the same time, if somebody does post bond for him, what do you think the chances are that it's going to deter him from committing crimes in the future? Oh, yeah. The answer is simple. Slim to none. And slim is on a bus out of town. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. If it's called the Friday document dump, if you take nothing else, if I want to I want to try to offer how things work, if you have bad news Or controversial news and you are a government official or you're a business or whatever. If you have controversial news to announce, um, when do you announce it? Do you announce it Monday morning at nine? Absolutely not. You announce it Friday afternoon. Why do you announce controversial or bad news on Friday afternoon? Because you're hoping nobody's paying attention. You know, typically people go out on Friday nights, so they're not necessarily watching network news. The Saturday papers, to the extent there's anybody who still reads newspapers, um, the Saturday papers are typically the, the least read papers around. Why? Because people are, are busy on Saturday, So you release bad news or controversial news on Friday, and then you hope it just kind of goes into the Ethernet over the weekend because maybe other developments will happen. And that's precisely, as a matter of fact, what happened over the last couple of days because Friday afternoon, controversial news dump, but then it gets blown off the news because now everybody's talking about Hamas attacking Israel and where we go from here. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasiewicz who was under pressure to recuse herself from the redistricting case because she pretty clearly during the course of the campaign said how she feels about the case. She has decided that she's not going to do this. She said, I'm I'm not going to recuse herself. She announces that on Friday afternoon, hoping that it kind of flies under the radar. Now, to me, it's not surprising that she chose to do it. It is unfortunate from an ethical perspective, in my opinion, she should have recused herself herself. And she sets a very, very bad standard moving forward for justices who pretty much come out and clearly announce that they have pre-decided cases in front of the court, making the court not an arbitrator and a determiner of the constitutionality of laws, but rather another sort of legislative body, like a super legislator, legislature. It's a very, very bad development for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. It's not surprising It is going to be incredibly controversial, and it's also not surprising that Protossaywitz decided to wait until Friday afternoon to make that announcement, hoping that nobody ended up noticing. Well, okay, maybe because of what happened in the Middle East, there's a lot of people that didn't, but it was the wrong decision. Do I think she should be impeached? No, I don't think she should be impeached. But at the same time, this is very, very bad for the integrity of the court moving forward. Um, We are, again... When it comes to justice and laws in the state of Wisconsin, we are moving more and more towards, in my opinion, becoming a banana republic, and that's not good. All right, lots of stuff coming up in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. Do not go anywhere.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner
3: Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Sometimes... You know, it 's interesting, I, I watch the stock market and you try to figure out what goes on in in the stock market and why and and sometimes it 's just very, very difficult to figure out, for example. When you have good economic news, like last, was it last Wednesday or whatever, you, you had these reports that, hey, the, the 337,000 jobs had been created, which is which is a good thing. People are going to work. We would think that's a good thing. Well, that causes the stock market to tank. And it's almost counterintuitive. And the reason it caused the stock market to tank is um, Wall Street was afraid that because the economy continues to show growth and people are getting hired, what that means is that the Federal Reserve is going to have to further increase interest rates, and they've been jacking them up at, I think, in my opinion, alarming rates over the course of the last couple of years. So if they're going to then have to increase rates more, that's going to make the cost of borrowing greater and will ultimately lead to a recession. So good economic news, there's jobs, causes the stock market to go down. Today, um, when I got up this morning, I fully expected that the market to open down, and it did. Why? Because what happened over the weekend? Well, the terrorist attacks on on Israel and the chance that you're now going to have major disruption in the Middle East, which, of course, could lead to gasoline prices going through the roof. Who knows what could happen? And the stock market did open down, but it's come back. The Dow now up uh, uh, 0.6%. Let's see, what does that translate into numbers? Uh, Dow up 230, 201 points. The Nasdaq up like sixty one points. Again, I, I don't exactly know the reason why, but you would have thought, okay, here's what's going on. You've got all this conflict going on in the Middle East. That that w- you would think that uncertainty would weigh on the markets, and it probably will ultimately, but at least not so far today. The latest developments in what is going on in the Middle East. They estimate the death toll now in Israel top seven hundred. Over 500 dead in Gaza, and my guess is both of those numbers are are low at this point in time, and apparently um, Israel... They're doing bombing now, but um, they're preparing for a ground invasion to, to go back into Gaza. And the reports are pretty clear now that Iranian security officials helped plan the surprise attacks on Israel and gave the green light for the assault at a meeting in Beirut last Monday. So for anybody who thinks that, gee, let's give Iran $6 billion, what could possibly go wrong with that Well, you've seen it. Um, Ultimately, if there is a prolonged Israel-Hamas war, that is going to matter for investors. But there's bigger problems than, than just Wall Street. But at least so far, the effects have been, I think, muted. And that's somewhat of a surprise to me. All right. Burger King. Now, for years and years, the slogan at Burger King was have it your way. And the idea being you can order it anyhow you want. They will be glad to make these individually. Have it your way. And the response, the reason they did that is um, for a lot of fast food chains, for example, McDonald's in particular, Yes, you could have special orders, but it would slow down the process. They'd rather really just, hey, this is how we make the quarter pounder with cheese, take the quarter pounder with cheese with the pickles and all this stuff on it. But Burger King, you know, they were doing, okay, let's have it your way. That was it. That really wasn't connecting. Burger King, um, it really, for a lot of, I mean, that was their slogan for 40 years. And they changed it in 2012 because they found that at least they didn't think it was working. And so they've had a couple slogans since then. The most recent slogan is you rule Um, and that's you you rule. I'm going to, I think, like go through a tunnel in, in Waukesha, Sam, and I'm going to write Samantha rules. You know, that's, that's it. No, don't write Samantha rules. Okay. All right. You rule. Key part of the new Burger King brand positioning. You rule is about celebrating everyday royalty. It puts the guest at the forefront of everything the brand does. They say, you rule. You are, you are the king. Okay. So. And they're hoping that this does better than than some of their other slogans as far as trying to uh, put up business. Well, it's interesting because credit to West Allis Mayor Dan Devine. Um, Burger King, there's like three Burger Kings in West Allis, which arguably might be two more than you need. But there were three Burger Kings in West Allis, and there's one on 106th and Greenfield. The one on 106th and Greenfield went out of business like 10 years ago, they, they closed it down. But the property itself is still owned by Burger King. They have been paying the property taxes on this. So, I mean, they're, they're continuing to pay the property taxes on it, even though it is a vacant lot. The problem is the property has become blighted. Like I say, it's it's been abandoned for the better part of a decade. And you know the mayor has been noticing this. You know, and he says, hey, look, this is the problem is the thing. It's getting worse and worse and worse by the years. The parking lot's not attended. It's kind of like Northridge, but or maybe it's a fairer thing to say would be the Burger King on 106th and Greenfield. Uh, Northridge is like that on, on steroids. So um, they've said that they've had uh, because of complaints to code enforcement, they've had contractors out to the property about 100 times since 2017 to deal with graffiti or maintenance on that property, so um, you, you got this again. It, it's it's what happens. For example, all these people in on on Tetonia and Roosevelt who want to close that that gas station where there was the shooting, and they're applying all this pressure. You close the gas station, what's going to happen? You're going to have an empty, blighted property, and you you think that that's going to make problems go away? Well, the, this Burger King has been a problem property, and you know, it's it's been vacant. They're not putting any money into it. They're not maintaining it. It's a source for graffiti and people to hang out. So the mayor of, of West Allis, Dan Devine, he, he's driving by. And finally, he says, you know, a- enough is enough. And what he does is he goes on Twitter or whatever they, what they call it now, X. And he says he takes pictures of this and he says, hey, Burger King, since I rule, could you please help me do something with this Whopper? Ha, 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 of a blighted property on 106th and Greenfield that has been an eyesore in West Dallas for several years, thanks in advance. And Burger King responded publicly, saying that clearly this does not rule, and they asked the mayor to send him a direct message. He says he did, but hasn't heard anything back. He said it's frustrating. It's such a blight and on such a main intersection. All right, so, you know, he jokingly decided, hey, let's take on on Burger King about this. And, I mean, I fully support, you know, what what he ended up doing because I think it's irresponsible for, you know, businesses to just allow locations that are are vacant to completely atrophy. It seems to me that you've got to, if you are, it's one thing, if you want to have the property and you leave it vacant, that's okay. It's your property as long as you're paying the taxes on it. But you have to have some degree of upkeep on it. If this was a home in a neighborhood, for example, that was abandoned and you didn't have anybody cutting the grass, you didn't have anybody um, taking any sort of things to doing anything at all to try to do the upkeep so the paint ends up peeling, people start scribbling graffiti over it, it, becomes a nuisance business, your neighbors wouldn't put up with that. You'd want it closed down. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If Burger King doesn't, like yesterday, do something to maintain the property properly, wouldn't this be something – would you support West Dallas doing whatever they can to declare this a nuisance property or a blighted property or whatever and – foreclose on it my foreclose might be the wrong word but take the property back and do something with it we have so many of these properties around here and in this case look I, a lot of times you don't you don't have you you have individuals who've abandoned them or or whatever but in this case you know you you have a company with really really deep pockets it's burger king that has let a restaurant and a property in this case just completely and totally go to you know where and, I mean, if I lived on 106th in Greenfield or anywhere near that and I saw this blight, I mean, I'd say to the city, go after this. And if the laws need to be changed to give the city more flexibility to do this, I say let's change the laws to give them more flexibility to do this. Paying the property taxes shouldn't be enough. You should have some responsibility to make, at least make reasonable efforts to maintain property in communities. Agree or disagree? 855 In this case, I think the mayor is absolutely right to publicly shame Burger King, but I'd go a step farther and say, hey, let's figure out what our legal remedies might be. And if we need, if we need to go to Madison and say, hey, we, we need to, we need to make it easier to go after blighted properties, Northridge would be example A, and this location on 106th and Greenfield might be example B. 855 We discuss. One of our texters says, Jeff, that Burger King location, 106th in Greenfield, looks awful. I was in that area about a week ago and drove past. Can some other business buy it? Well, not unless Burger King does something. Burger King is a subsidiary of something called Restaurant Brands International. They own Popeye's. They own Firehouse Subs. They own Burger King's. They own Tim Hortons. Um, and apparently what happened is last May, city attorney for West Dallas sent a notice of nuisance to Burger King. And uh, Burger King's response said, well, we're, continu- we're thinking about uh, putting a Popeye's on that site. Oh OK, that's fine. But they haven't done anything about it. And the mayor tells the newspaper, I don't know if it's genuine or if that's just to hold us off. This corporation has enough money to pay taxes on it, but they're not concerned about the neighborhood and the blight it's causing our city. Yeah, they don't give a rat's rump about this. And so the idea is, well, we're going to pay the property taxes. And look, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that. You know, I don't think that we should be forcing businesses. You own the property. And I don't think it's appropriate for the city to say, okay, you're paying the property tax, so we're going to tell you what to do with it. If they want to keep it vacant, go with God. That That's fine. But you can't allow it to be a blight. You have to accept responsibility for maintaining it. You can't just say, okay, we've closed the business and it's been sitting around for 10 years. There's no security on the premises. Nobody cuts the grass here. There's graffiti and things like that. If you're going to... If you're going to own it, seems to me that you have to do the same things you would do if it was an ongoing business. If it was an ongoing business, you wouldn't tolerate graffiti. You wouldn't let the parking lot you know, go to heck. You would maintain it. And if you're not willing to do that, and they clearly haven't been, then I think the city has every right to say, all right, we're starting legal action about this. We're going to take it, and we're going to do whatever we want with it, including maybe sell it. Mark in Vernon. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Yeah, hi. Thanks hi. for having me on. Sure. Um, I agree with you uh, 100% uh, that they, and I agree with Dan for reaching out to um, get them to right. uh, do some activity on it. But um, I think the problem is systemic in that, um, and we see this with big box retailers, in that these alder people and aldermen or whoever approves of these larger retails coming into into different communities They need to have an exit strategy built into either the sale or the lease so that that property can be repurposed or, you know, the land can be brought back to its original state or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like I said, I think it's a systemic issue and that they need to do that in advance of agreeing to letting these companies come on board in that area.
3: Yeah, I got to think Uh, that. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call, Mark. I got to think that through because um, that I mean I don't know. I mean everybody starts a business with the idea that the the business is going to be successful and I don't I don't know how long that Burger King operated there to tell you the truth off the top of my head. I don't know if it was there for 5 years or whether it was there for 25 years. So you you wonder how long you can require that but but agreement or not, I think it's more than reasonable to, you know, say to people All right. And I I would apply this to homeowners as well. You can't just by virtue of paying your property taxes, you can't just then walk away and say, "Okay, I'm not going to maintain the building because, look, this this location isn't Northridge. I I get that. I understand that. But look at what's happened with with Northridge. You have this uh, this overseas company, which up until recently at least they would pay the property tax and then they'd stop paying the property tax until they got a foreclosure notice and they repay the property tax but they didn't put a dime into this and it became it became a, an, an attraction for vandals. It became an attraction for people, you know, breaking in and doing these things and, and creating all sorts of havoc. And the city ha- has been really kind of like spinning its wheels, trying to, you know, figure out what it's going to do. It has to be easier and simpler when you have a company that, again, bails on a particular business. I'm a free market guy. I understand. They need they had more Burger Kings than they needed on 106th and Greenfield. You know, they have three Burger Kings in West West Dallas that's at least one too many maybe two too many so they close I get it I understand but once you close it if you want to let the property just sit vacant that's fine with me too but you've got to maintain it Peter in River West Peter you're on WTMJ
6: Hey good afternoon Jeff Hi. um I I take the bus uh from West Dallas all the way to the Shorewood area I sit across the street from Burger King every Monday through Friday it is uh, eyesore, but it's just not that business. you got a gas station I sit in front of. They don't take care of their weeds, their problems, their property or anything. It's just really blighted over there, and it doesn't seem like anybody cares.
3: Hmm. Well, I think that that's, uh, may- maybe that's something else for the Common Council and for the mayor to put on the agenda, because that's a pretty populous area, 106th and Greenfield, to let it just completely deteriorate.
6: It is, and I when I sit there for the bus stop, I mean, it's not even my property, and I'm picking up garbage, I'm picking up plastic cups, Mm -hmm. I'm picking up stuff that came from that gas station, from Speedway, from Quick Trip around the corner, it's like everybody just uses the ground out there as a dumping ground, and the owner of the gas station doesn't care, the people, Burger King doesn't care, and they just... It just seems like it's not my problem, it's your problem. You deal with it.
3: Mm, Thanks for the call, Peter. Again, well, in some respects, it's easier to deal with if it's an active business and and it's a nuisance and they're not... You know, taking care of the property, then you can come out and I think you can be aggressive with getting tickets. If if, if it's an abandoned property, in some respects, it's, it's even tougher to do that. But I, anyhow, I, I think the, the mayor is right in trying to publicly shame him. What they need to do, though, is they need to be aggressive about this. And I think in all these communities, it's fair to be aggressive about this. And again, it's not this has been vacant for 10 years. So it's not like, oh, the business closed three months ago, and now you're sending us these notices with nuisance and stuff. The business closed 10 years ago, 2012, and they've done nothing with this particular property. That's certainly been enough time to decide, okay, what are we going to do? And if they've made the decision that we want to keep this because we think the land might appreciate in value, okay, that's fine. They own it. But don't they have an obligation to maintain it? Don't answer that. That's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is yes back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Samantha, producing the show today and always. Today's kind of like a throwback day because um, we have these wonderful new studios down at the Avenue. Wonderful. But I I admit, I'm kind of OG. I'm old school. I I miss our Radio City facility. I mean, I I miss the flat, leaky roof. I, I miss the, you know, I mean, I worked there for 24 years. I mean, I miss the flatly I miss the, the carpet that hadn't been replaced since I probably started twenty four or twenty five years ago. I, I and I, I miss I miss the fact that you you could never set the temperature. And because it was one or the other, the temperature was either most times it was freezing. It didn't matter I mean it would it would just it would the air conditioning would be blasting out. Didn't matter if it was ten degrees below outside or ninety degrees. It would be it would be really, really cold. And the, the difficulty was if you complained about being cold, well, then all of a sudden the heat came on and the heat kept pouring out. So you had to decide would you rather have it cold or hot. And typically, just because of the way I'm constituted, I would rather have it warm. So that that's in general. But you could never you, – never. and, I mean, this is 25 years. They used to have people in, and they could just never get it right. So it was part of the charm of the older facility. So we, we have this new facility here, and it's great. I walk into the studio, and I'm thinking – gosh, it's pretty warm in here. And I, because again, I was saying at the start of the show, I'm sort of dressed for fall, right? I've got my, like a pullover on, a couple layers and stuff like that. I got, I, I it's a little bit, it's cold outside. Walk in here and it is, it's hot. And the reason is, because the temperature is stuck at 77 degrees, and there's nothing, I, whatever is supposed to be going on isn't going on. So it's 77, and I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, this is what it is. Now, I'd rather have it hot, I'd rather it's 77 than 57, but it's like 77, and I'm thinking, this is, it's like a throwback to the old Radio City days, a new facility but still can't regulate the heat. So if you tune in on our YouTube channel, and it looks like I'm sweating a little bit, no, I'm, I'm not having a heart attack or anything like that, it's just... Seventy-seven degrees in here, and it's in your studio too. You're nodding too. It's very warm. Okay, so it's it's just it's like a throwback. For I mean, I describe myself as a OG. Well, this is this is the way it this is the way it used to be. Just no ability to control things. So here's the here's the other thing. Now there's like nobody in management is here today. Everybody is in Las Vegas. I mean it seems to me every time I open an email it's from somebody saying I'm out of the office today I'm traveling I'm in I'm in Las Vegas and cuz we have you know, uh, again a, a huge contingent we, we we're because of our connections with ESPN and stuff and so I think a number of partners are in Vegas you know it's it's that sort of thing so like everybody is is in Las Vegas so this is again it's the one day if you wanted to do something and you were hoping like nobody would notice at least immediately this is the day to do it because again everybody's in Vegas but I'm becoming convinced, Samantha, that you and I are the only two people who are not in in Las Vegas. This this weekend, my wife left me because, well, not permanently because she came back today, but because my stepdaughter and son-in-law, they decided to go with a couple neighbors. They went to Las Vegas, so they've been in Vegas the entire weekend. And so as a result of that, my wife had to, well, our her old her grandson is is a senior in high school and it was homecoming this weekend, so he wasn't going to be home. So she had to go. She was over there at their house, stayed overnight because of the dogs. So she was like dog sitting, leaving me to dog sit at our house. So that was a couple of days. But everybody I know is is in Vegas. Um, here's the deal: when you watch the game tonight, what you're going to see, they estimate that the Packers fans will outnumber the Vegas fans. Um, the Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders, they will outnumber them. The estimates are about 55 to 45. Here's the deal, and it shows how Packers fans love to travel, and especially they love to travel at events. They estimate that the average ticket price for the game tonight, now this is a 2-2 two and two Packers team, which we all hope is going to do well, right? We all hope it's going to do well, but this I don't think anybody seriously thinks this is a Super Bowl sort of team, right? it's It's a team that is maturing, and I think a lot of the decisions they're making this year are to build for the future years. The average ticket price for this $515 is the average ticket price for the game tonight. It's the most expensive ticket in the NFL this week. They estimate that it could be the fifth most expensive Packers game in nearly 15 years. The only Packers games that cost more, where the tickets cost more, in the last 15 years, um, the 2011 Super Bowl game, I was there, the game in London last year, a Sunday night game in New England, And the NFC Championship against Seattle in 20, uh, the NFC Championship in 2020. That wasn't the Seattle game. That was uh, the championship game. That was one after Seattle in 2020. Those four. But here you have a Monday night game with a two and two team. The Raiders are awful and 515 bucks and cheeseheads flocking to Las Vegas. So Packers fans travel well. Then you throw in the lure of Whatever the allure of Las Vegas is, and it's different for different people, and you understand why people are pouring in there. So when you watch the game tonight, do not be surprised with a green and gold takeover. And my guess is tomorrow, as the flights from Vegas are coming back, um, expect full flights and hopefully the weather will be cooperating because if it doesn't, and there's delays and stuff like that, a lot of people who are scheduled to be at work on Wednesday, aren't going to get there back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of our texters says he had a friend, friends, plural who pay $2,000 each for a ticket. Yeah. I am um, a couple months ago. I started, I was just kind of casually exploring it. I thought, okay, maybe that would be, look, look, it's going to be fun. There's no question about it. I love Las Vegas. All kidding aside, I just love Las Vegas. And um, if you could wrap it around a Packers game, that's even cooler. So I started, first of all, I kind of, I started with, okay, what's airfare going to be? And airfare was nuts. And then I said, okay, what, ho- what are hotels going to cost? And then I looked at the places where I typically stay and it was, you could tell that there, they knew that there was a big football game in town and they knew they were Packers because the, the rates for a Monday night would normally have been, you could essentially get it comped at the places I stay. Um, no, <laughs> they were charging a fortune for that. So the airfare was nuts. The hotel thing was nuts. And then but I still I still was kind of open to this because you can't take it with you, right? So then I started looking at the cost of tickets. And yeah, to I mean it's one thing to get into the stadium, you were talking about several hundred bucks, but you'd be way up. To, to get to get a decent ticket to a Monday night game with two bad teams, you were talking, you know, well into four figures. And I'm like, nah. I don't think so. There's all sorts of other stuff that I could do with that money, but I again, I'm encouraging people for folks who are out there. Hope the Packers win, and I hope everybody has an absolutely great time. Okay, the, the county. See, this is there's a saying that you know when you're wrong, be strong. It's kind of it's kind of the Donald Trump philosophy of stuff, which is never apologize, never back down, just blast ahead, just. You know, just ignore the bad news, ignore, in some cases, reality, just kind of blast ahead, refuse to acknowledge that you might have made mistakes. And I I mean, Trump is like that, but there's other people. I don't mean to make it political. There's all sorts of other people. That's their philosophy. It's when you're wrong, be strong. You might have done something really, really stupid or whatever. That's okay. You refuse to acknowledge it. Now, personally, I think the opposite is the way that you should handle it. I think what happens is when you've dug yourself a hole, a lot of times There's two choices. You can keep digging or alternatively, you can climb out of the hole, fill it in, declare victory and move on. Now that I'm one of these. okay, just recognize it's you know, we're not going to throw good money after bad. We're just going to kind of move on. Well, that's not how that's not how it works around here. For example, you've got the hop a people object when I say complete and total failure. Let's say a total failure. Uh, you know let, let's just we'll we'll leave it at that. But instead of just recognizing that this was a, a really, really bad idea, which hasn't translated into anywhere near the ridership that we thought it was going to, or at least that some people claimed it was going to. And if if we did what we said in the original beginning we were going to do, that is like require people to pay, there, there, there would be almost no ridership at all, which is why it remains free and the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee have to support it. So rather than recognizing that the hop was a bad idea, you have people out there who want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars that we do not have on expanding it. And the argument is, well, the reason it's a failure, and the reason that we we can't get more people to ride it is because it doesn't go anywhere. So if we expand this fixed tire, this this fixed rail line, it'll it'll be greater and it'll work greater which to me has never made any sense if you want to have mass transit around here use rubber tire trolleys which give you the flexibility of saying hey we need to get people you know we want a shuttle service to get people down to summerfest when summerfest is operating those three weekends good add the trolleys gee we need trolleys to go to five serve when the bucks are in the playoffs great add the rubber tire trolleys put them on the street and have them do that Building a fixed rail system around here has never made any sense to me. But yet you have people who just refuse to acknowledge that they made a mistake, and boom, we're going to spend the money to do this. So Milwaukee County has and it's it's not it's not the hop. I, I concede that. But it's also a huge waste of taxpayer dollars. We have and they've just inaugurated the, the so-called Bus Rapid Transit Line BRT, which occupies lanes of traffic And runs from the Lower East Side out to the the medical college, essentially. And it runs along Blue Mound and Wisconsin Avenue and it shaves if you ride it the entire way, it shaves what maybe seven, eight, nine minutes total for the whole line. It saves shaves you know, it takes it from a thirty five minute trip to a twenty eight minute trip or, or whatever. Like anybody's going to now ride this because you, you save a couple minutes. And it's got all these projections about ridership and they're they're again they're running it free through the end of the year, trying to promote it. And ultimately, I mean who knows if they're going to continue to operate it for free. I don't think they're going to be able to do that, but it it's it's an unnecessary expense. Plus, you know, what they did is they decommissioned a couple other bus lines that were running that way. And it's all this here, we want the shiny little thing. Well, the county, all right, on the heels of this first east-west uh, bus rapid transit line, they want to – they're considering spending um, hundreds of millions of dollars to do the same thing on a north-south bus line that would essentially run from – I'll kind of buy where the, the NML campus is that is being vacated because they're moving downtown and would run all the way up to Bayshore. Same sort of thing, except at staggeringly a higher expense. And you already have bus lines that run there. And to me, again, the idea that we're going to spend an enormous amount of money simply to, to shave a few minutes off makes no sense at all. Plus what you're doing is you're taking away lanes of traffic. So you're making it more difficult for people to drive. So um, you've got that. The estimate is that if they were to do that, really, it would cost in the neighborhood of 150 M as in million dollars. Okay. So against that backdrop, they've now come out and apparently they're looking at creating a third bus rapid transit line. This one would run east-west between downtown Milwaukee and the border of West Allis and Waukesha County. So they're looking at this, apparently they've got um, $50,000, which they are proposing for a feasibility study for transit enhancement. Um, The next development, which would go there, and again, they're hoping for federal money to do this at some point in time i mean i understand the ultimate plan is to make it almost impossible for people to drive around with their cars here we're going to take away lanes of traffic etc we're going to have no place for people to park so we're going to force people to ride buses and and you know i understand that's the plan whether that actually works or not and whether that's a desirable plan who knows but this bus rapid transit line it really is the camel sticking its nose into the tent Because, okay, we've got the east west one. Now let's take 150 million and let's try to do a north south one. And then, you know, let's also start considering looking at another east one, at least west one, this just a little bit further south, none of which are really needed. But if there's a will, there's a way. And particularly if they can figure out a way to get federal money, look out. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Write this down, because this is something that the people should never disagree with, and it's especially when it comes to throwing around public money, or your own money as well. Five words. Hope is not a plan. Hope is not a plan. You can hope something is going to work out. All right, and that hope is great. I hope I win the Powerball drawing tonight. And if I'm going to do that, it means I better stop off and buy a ticket on the way home. I hope I win the Powerball drawing tonight. But if... (laughs) If I am planning my expenses, if over the weekend I said, hey, I'm going to commit to buy, I'm going to win the Powerball plan, I hope I win the Powerball plan, so I'm going to, here, I'm going to call the car dealer, I'm going to buy a new car, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, I'm going to do all these other things. Well, hope is not a plan, right? It's just the reality. You might win the Powerball, and then you have to deal with this, but if you're making plans because you hope you win the Powerball, eh, not such a good idea. Well, the city of Milwaukee is realizing that hope is not a plan. We talked about this before. number of years ago, you will recall that this developer rolled in with this idea that he wanted to take the, the former Sears store that was on the corner of North Avenue and Fond du Lac, you know, downtown in on the north side of Milwaukee. And this was, you know, when we moved here in 1967. That that was this, this huge Sears store, and and you had all these different satellite Sears stores. But Sears was where America shopped, and if you couldn't find something at the Bayshore store, you went down to the North Avenue store. It was three floors. It had absolutely everything. Well, okay, the that store closed. The building has been, I mean, there have been different uses, but none have been particularly great. And the neighborhood, let's face it, is not great. That's just kind of the reality. So this developer rolls in and says, here's the idea. I want, I want to build a high end luxury hotel and event facility there. And anybody looking at this knew <clears throat> that this was about the worst place that you could pick for a a luxury hotel and event facility for just a lot of reasons. But the mayor and the common council, they hoped this would work. They hoped this would work because, again, you've got this economically depressed area. We hope, wouldn't it be great if this works? But hope is not a plan. So what happens is they loaned, you know, all this money to the developer and the the money so far, it's pretty much gone. And the developer, you know, hasn't, hasn't made interest payments. Um, they've lost about $540,000 in interest payments. And now the idea of building the hotel is, is off the, the table. And they're, they're moving on to plan B or plan C or plan D or whatever, hoping to find something more suitable. But it was never going to happen. A- and everybody knew it. But yet because you had people who were hoping it would work, you know, you, you took public money and you essentially, you know, threw it away well now at least a couple members of the common council are saying look we need we need to control this you know we we've foregone a 540,000 interest payments um, we need the common council to take more control over this. And they're introducing legislation that would require the administration to secure council approval before you could modify the terms of these TIF districts. And that's, see, what the mayor's done is, okay, I'm gonna forgive, you owe us all this money, I'm going to forgive this. Mayor, you owe us all this money, I'm gonna forgive it, year after year after year. And so, essentially, we have made an interest-free loan to this developer, and, and maybe something will come of it, but probably not. But it goes back to the whole notion Hope is not a plan. They hoped it would work. They lent a bunch of money, public money, to this. That money is pretty much now all gone. There haven't been any interest repayments. And now people are saying, well, you know, how did this happen? Well, it happened because, say it after me, hope is not a plan. When we come back, the final Jeopardy answer is 58 cents. I'll give you the question right after the top of the hour news. Live from the
0: Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show.
3: Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let's see, a lot of people watching us on YouTube right now. You can go to YouTube, put in WTMJ. We've got our own YouTube channel that's out there. Or I just go to WTMJ.com and you can hit the stream live button or the watch live button and See what we dress like, and starting to sweat a little bit in here. Like I was saying earlier, we had 77 degrees in the studio. It's kind of balmy. I can take off my pullover, take off my shirt. Well, maybe we don't necessarily want to see that. You know, we're we're not going to go that far, but that's. the producers like that. Oh, trust me. You do not, you don't want to see that. That's not going, that's not what we're going to have happen, but you know, you can maybe like see me sweat a little bit as we work our way through here. But I, again, I will take warm rather than cold. That's just kind of the way I am. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is 58 cents. 58 cents. The question, do, 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 the final Jeopardy answer, 58 cents. The question is, how much did it cost to send a first class piece of mail in August of 2021? So, two years ago, 58 cents. I bring this up because the Postal Service has now sought to raise the price of stamps um, for the third time this year. See, it was August of 2021. It was $0.58 in January of—let's see, it it then went up to $0.60— In January of 2023, January of this year, it went up to 63 cents. Then um, later on, in June, it went up to 66 cents. And now the Postal Service is asking for permission to raise the cost of stamps up to 68 percent. If it's approved, it would go into effect in January of 2021. This would be the third increase in a year. Between 2010 and 2020, stamp prices rose seven times, and now the pace of increase of right of raises is increasing. If the proposed January 2024 increase is approved, the mail service will have raised prices five times this decade, with stamp prices up 17% since they were 58 cents in August of 2021. Um, so the Postal Service is saying, look, here, here's why we are doing this. The increase in rates is necessary to help us avoid $100 billion in projected losses. And I think they're figuring that, well, you know, for the people who use the mail, the difference between $0.58 a couple years ago and $0.68 isn't going to make any difference. That that extra dime isn't going to make any difference. And as a practical matter, to be able to send a first-class piece of mail – Anywhere in the United States, I mean, you can you can be in Key West, Florida, and you can be at the southernmost point of the country and you can mail a letter and you can address it to Bellingham, Washington in the far northwestern portion of this state of this country. and for for sixty eight cents, it will be delivered within a couple days. I think the Postal Service feels it's one of the best deals going. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I guess I look at this, and I don't think the people who use first-class mail, and I mail a lot fewer letters than than I used to. Uh, today, Dropped um, uh, my wife was sending a sympathy card or a thank you card or something to someone, so I dropped that in the mailbox. Over the weekend, I sent two things in the mailbox. One was, a bill that I had received from a—it's not a regular sort of—it's—it's uh, it's not somebody a service that we regularly use. It was like a one-off sort of thing, and so I, I wrote out a check and I sent that off, and I also um, I sent I sent a letter uh, again a note to somebody a personal note. So I mean I mailed two things on Saturday. I mailed something this morning. Do I use the mail as often as I did? Of course not. I used to write checks all the time. Yes, write checks, put them in envelopes. I used to get the bills in the mail. Now I do most of that electronically. But I will say this, um, raising the the rates, going from $0.58 to $0.68, does that deter me? No, because I still think it's a great bargain. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I still, again, and I I understand there's people that have beefs with the Postal Service and, oh, it takes too long to get stuff delayed and all. I still think it is a great service. It is incredible to me that, again, for 68 cents, if this goes through, you know, you can have something sent all the way across the country and delivered in a couple days. I, I don't think... I don't think these rate increases, to the extent that people are using the Postal Service less, I don't think it has anything to do with rate increases, and I don't think this one's going to affect usage. 855-616-1620, do you still use the Postal Service? Will there be a Postal Service for delivery of of first-class mail and things of the like? Is that that still going to be in existence five or ten years from now, or will email— And all Venmo and all these other things, electronic banking, um, will that have essentially put the end to the Postal Service? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. The Postal Service is just – they've asked for permission uh, from the Postal Regulatory Agency to raise the cost of first-class stamps um, from $0.66 to $0.68. This is – uh, it's go, that, the rate's gone up 17% um, since August of 2021. One of our texters says, when I was a kid, they were $0.06. Cents. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when comic books were 12 cents Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I guess I still think daily delivery – I think delivery of first-class mail is one of the best deals going. And candidly, I don't think that extra $0.02 – and I, I, I mean, look, I understand that there, there's some – there's some rates, hey, you know, Netflix, they're going to, you know, the, the cost of Netflix is going to go up five or six bucks. Okay, five or six bucks a month, 60 bucks a year, if, if just using Netflix as an example. Okay, that might make me think, huh, do, is it really worth the extra whatever plus what I'm paying for it? I, I might think about that for the, the times I use stamps the idea that oh they're going to go up another two cents, or you know it's gone up a dime in the last three years, would that really make me not use it? And my answer is, you know, probably, probably not. Lamar in Orlando, Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So I don't think it's going to make a difference. And I want to say this: I think that the postal service gets a horrible reputation, and that's unfair. First of all, unlike the private parcel carriers. They have to ask permission to raise their rates. FedEx yep. does not. Neither does UPS. Uh, also, UPS during FedEx during like during holiday seasons, they stop. They they will stop taking packages because they're they're at capacity. They'll just stop. USPS does not have that ability to do that. They got to right. take everything that you send to them, and they got to get it out. That causes delays, and again, they get the blame. Like right, it's right. their fault that they couldn't tell people.
4: No, yeah, you can't send anything,
3: right? And Lamar, and there there are so, there are remote places that, for example, FedEx and UPS won't deliver to. You know that, but the postal service doesn't have that option. You know, so it's okay. We don't we don't go to this particular spot that's way in the middle of nowhere. No offense to people who live in the middle of nowhere, but the postal service has to get the package there, even if UPS or FedEx won't.
1: Yep, and they carry. Who carries those those packages to the rural areas that Amazon, uh, FedEx won't go? USPS does that, and so I defend them a thousand percent. I hate that they get such a bad rap when they can't say no, um, or or set their rates without permission. So, uh, but I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference.
3: Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I agree. I mean, again, I I just think I think it's an incredible deal. Now, a number of people are texting in, and the point they are raising is that they don't believe you need six day a week mail coverage and. And we've talked about this before. I one of the things the Postal Service would argue is that you really don't save that much money by by eliminating home delivery six days a week and going to like four days a week because unless you're going to have massive layoffs of people, that's one of the arguments they make. I, I do I do think that personally. Would I notice if you let us say you go from six day delivery, you go to four day delivery for the sake of argument, and so you don't deliver on I, I don't know, you whatever day. You don't deliver on Monday, you don't deliver on Saturday. Well that you wouldn't want that background. You don't deliver on Tuesday, you don't deliver on Saturday. You know, I would would that or even cutting back to five days a week would would most people notice that and be significantly inconvenienced for example if you're going to your mailbox today don't bother because today is a a federal holiday it's columbus day or if you're politically correct it's indigenous people's day and there's no mail delivery banks most banks are closed as well so all right for for most people by waiting till tomorrow to get your mail, are you going to be significantly inconvenienced? And whenever I say this, somebody calls in and says, Well, I, I depend on my medication, et cetera. Well people adapt. If if you knew, just like you know that they're not delivering mail on Saturday on Sunday and you adjust, if you know that they weren't, for example, delivering mail on Monday or Tuesday, you would adjust. 855 Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, good afternoon.
0: Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Thanks hi, Eric. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I would first like to compliment and sympathize with the United States Postal Service. I mean, they, they do a great job. They do a great service. And, and those people need to make a, a sustainable uh, life wage. And I'm sure the wages have gone up. So I, I sympathize with that. Um, more importantly, though, I would like to expose a Facebook Internet scam that China is printing U.S. postal stamps and, and selling them on Facebook at drastically reduced prices. Um, I, I admit I bought into this. Their, their ad claims that they are, are outdated old forever stamps from last year and a couple years ago that UPS didn't sell, and they're an authorized salesperson. I bought into that once.
3: Okay, so I, be I made careful. Another
0: purchase. Yeah, yeah. I, I made another purchase recently that that did not get delivered because the postage on it was was bad. Yeah, and then I'm getting emails from China regarding this.
3: Got it. Yeah, Eric, thanks for calling. I mean to cut you off, but yeah, it's kind of off topic. But yeah, you I, that, that you do raise an interesting point too. And with with the concept of forever stamps, and matter of fact, I. Um, knowing, again, I don't know how many, I don't know how many letters I actually send. And this is like bills in a given month, you know, less than 10, less than 10, maybe less than five. It depends on the month and depends on what's going on. But I mean, a number of, I mean, several months ago, I I went to the post office or somewhere and I I bought like a hundred stamps of those forever stamps and they're going to last me for a long time. So if you want to Avoid the impact of some of these latest rate increases. Well, you buy the forever stamps and figuring out that you'll use them over time because they're they're good. Um, let's talk to Richard in Fox Point. Richard, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, it's
2: not, uh, hello. It's not a, it's not Fox Point. It's Fox
3: Lake, Illinois. Actually,
2: Fox <laughs> Lake, okay. Illinois. Okay. Thanks. For, thanks for trying to increase my income by that much <laughs> so put me in Fox Point. Um, <laughs> I, we we like the mail. We mail out all our bills. I'm old fashioned, old school, and just plain old. And I don't really trust electronic stuff where other places have access to my checking account. And like I told your screener, though, if you want to go from six days down to five or four, the carriers still have the six days worth of volume to sort, and you have to sort that extra stuff on those less days. So right. it would not cut down on on labor cost or anything.
3: Yeah, that's yeah, and that's. Yeah, unless you were going to—you'd have to keep the sorting things open, unless you were going to do, like, massive layoffs and stuff. But, again, I, I, I go back to the basic notion. I think the Postal Service is a great value.
2: I agree. And, and they're already so shorthanded, like every place, so I don't know how there'd be—there wouldn't be layoffs, per se, I don't believe, so.
3: Um, yeah, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Somebody was arguing about, well, the, the Columbus Day is not a federal holiday. Yes, Columbus Day is a federal holiday— some states and cities also celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, post offices are closed. Um, no regular mail delivery. So are um, banks open? Um, October 9th as a bank holiday. Somebody just argue with me. Oh, the, my bank was open. October 9th is recognized as a bank holiday for most banks. But some banks can, in fact, I guess, make the choice to stay open. But, yes – It is a federal holiday. Jeff, I've always been amazed by the service provided by the U.S. Postal Service. Um, It's pretty neat for the same price as sending a greeting card a mile and a half across town that I can send something from here to Hawaii. Um, Yeah, there's no question um, about it. And, and by the way, I, I understand that I'm getting texts from people who've had this piece. Well, I, you know, this piece of mail was lost and that piece of mail was lost. And I understand there is the potential for that. It is one of the reasons why if I am in the state and I choose to early vote, it's one of the reasons why I like to go over, for example, and actually, and actually you know, vote in person early. Um, because I, I know the ballot is going to be there. But at the same time, I, th- I think that the the mail service does a, a really, really good job. Jeff, I, as well as a lot of people, don't go, even go out to the mailbox to get the mail every day. We don't have the convenience of having our mailbox attached to our house. Um, we may wait for the rain or snow to stop. You know, one of the really cool things that you can do, gosh, and I forget what they call this, but you can I, I, you can sign up with the postal service, and they will on a daily basis. They'll email you with a list with a, with copies of all the exterior of all the letters that are being delivered. Gosh, I forget what they call that, but it's I I get that. So you can, you know, it it comes into my mailbox in the morning. I open it up and you can see, you can't see the contents, but you can see, oh, I'm getting a communication from this place or that place or whatever. So it can kind of tune you in. And I do admit that on those occasions where I look through it and there doesn't look like anything other than, you know, junk mail or whatever, I I don't make as much of a point about saying, hey, I've got to get to the um, mailbox or not. In any event, word to the wise. So far, still six-day-a-week mail delivery, but the cost of first-class mail going up, cost of postcards are going up, the cost of sending mail overseas is going up. I still think it's a bargain. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. One of the many great things about doing this radio program with our audience out there is when I, I do, when I'm trying to think, what is something called? And I say, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but I use it. Well, all you have to do is just wait during commercial break and you get over a dozen people saying that you're talking about informed delivery. Yeah, that's what they call it. It's, Did you know about this, Sam? Oh, you, you but you don't get mail anyhow, You right? You don't. Okay. Yeah, it, it's actually, it is very, very cool and it's free if you haven't heard about this. Um, what they will do, you can sign up, you just have to create an account, but it's free. It doesn't cost anything. And every day in your email, you will get a, a note from the U.S. Postal Service which says, these. this is what is being delivered today. And then it'll tell you if there's packages that are coming, but it'll also, let's say you've got, let's say you got four or five letters that are coming. It will show you the outside of the envelope for all those different letters. So if you were... I mean, if you were expecting a, a notice from the IRS or, or something, or you were expecting – I don't know that they, they even send out refund checks anymore from the IRS, but whatever. If you were expecting a bill from Target, if you were still on that, or you were expecting a check from somewhere, or you were whatever, you can go, and it will tell you in the morning. And I get mine you know, sometime between around 7, between 7 and 8 in the morning, and they come in, and you can just – you click on it, and they'll show you the pictures of the exterior of each of the envelopes so you know what's supposed to be coming in the mail in that day. Now, it doesn't – sometimes it comes a day later. So, I mean, it's not a perfect sort of system. But in general, it it tells you what you want. It's actually – it's a very cool service and it's free and it's called Informed Delivery. And if you want to find out more about it and you're active on the internet. You just go to U.S. Postal Service, USPS.com, I think is what it is, but right now, Google it, and you, know, you go there, you start the account, and then you can get it. Kind of just, it's sort of a, again, I, I, you don't have that surprise of going to the mailbox and saying, okay, what's in here? You know what's there in advance. I think they do a pretty good job of this. Okay. Um, there I was hoping that there would be a follow-up on this today, but at least... When I just checked a little while ago, it has not happened as of yet. I'm off tomorrow. I have a funeral I have to go to. Tracy Johnson is in. But this is something that I have been monitoring because it's it's a case that's gotten a ton of attention. And I cannot – I am very curious to see when the charges actually come out for a couple reasons. This is the story about what happened – and we mentioned it briefly on Friday's program – 2.40 2.40 a.m. on Friday, officers, Milwaukee police officers get a shot spotter alert. That's this technology they have when they can tell shots have been fired in a particular area. So they go to the area. They see a vehicle fleeing, okay? So they begin to pursue, okay? So there's there's been the shooting. Car takes off like a bat out of you-know-where. Pursuit begins from North 22nd and West Melvina Streets. It's 2.30 in the morning. During the chase... The occupants of the car that's fleeing from the cops apparently lean out the car and start shooting at the cops. I mean, this is—it's like the John Wayne movies where you've got the stagecoach being chased by the bad guys. In this case, though, the bad guys are driving the stagecoach, and it's the it's the robbers that are that are chasing it. But so the car—this is the streets of Milwaukee. The car starts shooting at the cops. The officer's squad car becomes disabled, and the pursuit briefly ends. I, I know the squad car was hit. I don't know if the bullets were what disabled the the squad car, and one of the officers returns fire. So the car gets away. Um, a little while later, another squad car encounters the the vehicle that's again was involved in the shootout with the cops. Resume um, the pursuit. Police said suspects again fired shots, again striking the second car. The suspect vehicle eventually stopped in the 1600 block of South 33rd Street. 28-year-old driver was arrested. A 35-year-old passenger fled on foot but was later apprehended. So they have the two bad guys. Several firearms and dope was found in the car. So... What, what happened over the weekend is Andrew Wagner, who's the head of the Milwaukee Police Association, um, put out a, a statement, said, look, enough is enough um, if – and I'm quoting him now, although I feel the same way. If these suspects are willing to have a movie-style shootout in our city and attempt to kill four police officers in order to not be held accountable – What is their likelihood of returning to court or trial without incident? And he's arguing that these people should be held, denied bail as court proceedings begin. And there's a provision to do that. And I I mean, by the way, I I agree with everything he he said here. I just think that this story is so incredible on a number of different matters. First of all, and at least I've been trying to check all during the show – I don't know that the charges have been formally filed against these two, and I don't know that they have appeared in court. I would assume that that is taking place today since this happened on Friday. Maybe it took place on Saturday, but I haven't seen any public reports of this. But first of all, I am incredibly curious as to who is it that not only would flee from the cops – because that's you know that's of course something that happens all the time around here – but is brazen enough – to shoot at police officers, one squad car, then a second squad car, with an intent to murder police officers. So I'm very, very curious about the 28-year-old driver and the 38-year-old passenger. And I will be very curious to see what their criminal records were, because as I frequently say, maybe this was their first time at the rodeo. Maybe this is just the day they woke up and said, Here is the day we're going to get into a rolling gun battle with two sets of police officers. More likely, they have criminal records as long as your arm or your leg or whatever, and they have been in and out of the so-called criminal justice system on multiple occasions and given chance after chance after chance. So I could be wrong on that, but normally my instincts are pretty good. So I'm dying to see what the prior record of these two people are and what they were doing out on the street. The second thing I'm intensely curious about, and it does tie back to what the head of the Milwaukee Police Association was saying, is what sort of bail, if any, would you set on somebody, two people who were involved in something like this and clearly attempted to kill for? different police officers, two separate squad cars and two shooting instances. And I'll be curious to see what some court commissioner thinks is an appropriate bail and, you know, how the public feels about it. So, like I say, as of this moment, at least publicly, I don't think they have been charged. I'm watching that case very closely. Once it comes out. We'll do the research, we'll post something on Twitter, and we'll definitely talk about that when I come back um, on Wednesday. But it's just another one of these circumstances. Maybe it's their first time at the rodeo, but I don't think so. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Everything old is occasionally new again. Somebody, I was talking to somebody over the weekend, and they said, you know, what exactly... I, I used the phrase, oh, this is, not, this is like retro. And somebody said, well, what exactly does it mean when people say retro? I said, well, no, retro is generally it's something that was incredibly popular at some point in time in the past, and now it's come back into style. You know, again, everything old is new again, one of those sorts of things. And, and that's true with clothing. It, it's true to an extent with music. True about a lot of stuff, including including sometimes TV. And one of the things that goes on with entertainment is, well, when you, when you have something that is a hit, what you like to do or what the people who you know, put together, whether it's TV or movies or whatever, what they like to do is they like to say, okay, we know people like this. We know people like Raiders of the Lost Ark. So let's, let's do a sequel. Because the people that like that movie, they're going to want to respond and they're going to want to see the sequel. And then if the sequel does OK, let's do a third part. Let's make it a trilogy. And then it's let's put in a fourth thing. And eventually what happens is they run out of ideas and the thing runs out of gas. And why on occasion the sequels are better than the original, generally speaking, after a while, the, the thing, again, it, it kind of – you go, all right, well, that that's enough. I think that's what happened with the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. They, they, they got – they got five movies out of it, and they probably should have stopped after three. But I get it. There was money to be made and those things. So, and, and it's easier to do that when you have a known commodity than it is to try to create something new. Because if you're trying to create something new, first of all, you have to come out with a good idea. Secondly, you have to convince enough people to, to watch it. And, and there's just so much clutter out there. I don't know about you, but I, I've got this list of stuff that I want to stream. And I really do, and I just don't have the time to do it. I've got this list of things. Oh, that's just premiered on Disney Channel. I want to I wanna watch Loki on Disney Plus. Gee, I'm watching the show on Netflix called Foobar with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I like that. Gee, there's these new documentaries that I do not have enough time to watch all the stuff that is out there right now. So, you know, if there's something that I knew that I liked, I want to watch it again. But at the same time, it, it, okay, so oh, it's season two of whatever, or it's season three or whatever. Okay, I'm going to go back and revisit that. I'll watch it as opposed to what is this show and do I want to see if I like it or not? So that's kind of the, the dynamic that's out there. One of the really, really popular shows from the past is Frasier with Kelsey Grammer. Now, Frasier itself was a spin-off of the the show Cheers. And if you can remember, Samantha, make me feel old. Do you remember Cheers. The show Cheers. No, you you don't. You really don't. Uh, She's like now, okay. That's made me feel old. But Cheers, set in a Boston bar. Cheers, very very popular show. And then what happened is Cheers was spun off. Frazier was the psychiatrist character played by Kelsey Grammer. That got spun off into a his, his own show. Samantha, do you remember Frazier? You remember Frasier. Okay, all right. We're, we're catching up there. So Frazier, you know, and, and it followed—it it was a wonderful show that ran for, you know, a number of seasons. It's It's been gone for like 10 years now. So what they've decided to do is they've decided to bring Frasier back. And it's going to be a sequel, essentially, to the sequel. The show, if you have Paramount+, Plus, which is the CBS streaming service— Two episode. It's it's a ten episode run. Two episodes are going to run on Thursday, October twelfth, and then um, those two episodes are going to be broadcast on over the air TV, CBS on next Tuesday, October 17th. So if you've got Paramount Plus and you want to watch it, you can watch the first two episodes of Frasier beginning on October 12th, but if you don't have Paramount Plus, you'll be able to watch it in over-the-air stuff um, on the 17th. But but they're bringing it back. To my knowledge, none of the original cast members from Frasier are going to be part of the show moving forward. Um, but I'm reading reviews of this, and apparently they've kind of tried to recreate it, and they've got characters that sort of operate as stand-ins for the characters from the, the original show. But they're very excited, and they think that, okay, this, they think that this is going to be a hit. They think that even though the thing has been off the air for 10 years, there's going to be a lot of demand for it. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, these various sequels and spinoffs and let's revive the show after 10 years— Is that a recipe for success, or is it just, oh, you're being lazy here. You you can't come up with any original ideas, so we're going to try to bring back a show that ended 10 years ago. Will this Frasier show be a success? Do you think it's going to find a new audience, and or will there be enough people who are fans of Frasier from before who are going to watch it? Will this be a success, or will this be a bomb? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment, and I've got another example of a revival that happened not that long ago that I'll bring up. We'll discuss in just a moment, but is it going to be a hit? Are you excited that they might be bringing Frasier back, or, eh, sometimes, should you just have let well enough alone? We discuss. Apparently, in the remake of Frasier, what they're doing is it, he, was, he was in Seattle, and he was a— Played a a, a radio talk show host who gave psychological advice. Apparently, in the remake, he's uh, he's now a national celebrity. Is the host of a pop psychology TV show called Dr. Crane. Maybe that's the future for me, Samantha. It's like you stop doing the radio, and then a couple years from now, you end up with your own like TV show. You know, talking about stuff. Jeff Wagner on TV. I don't know. (laughs) We're probably not okay. So, is it going to be a success, um, Jeff? I think that when new show airs, you don't know what necessarily to expect because Frasier aired for so many years. We almost have an expectation of what it should be. So, I think if it doesn't meet that ideas, you know, we could fail. Jeff, never watched Frasier, Never cared for Kelsey Grammer on and off the screen. Well, see, I, I think the, the idea is with this. The hope is that enough people who liked Frasier are going to tune in and then that you're going to be able to work through murder mouth or whatever, that you're going to be able to get people who, who never watched this or maybe, you know, didn't like it before but want to check it out. Jeff, they've done this with series like Magnum P.I. and MacGyver, didn't care for either one. Maybe this draws in new younger people that haven't seen the original um uh, series. Um, that's it. Jeff Fraser was one of my favorite shows. I still watch it in reruns. I found it witty, funny, and brilliant. Right. The question is, you know, um, you know, how is that going to, you know, how is that going to work out, you know, moving forward? Jeff, I love the show. I'm thinking it will hopefully be a success. Jeff, TV, uh, the TV show Psych keeps bringing itself back with mini movies. I think they're great. I think there would be a lot of people and a new audience that would love to watch the show if it came back full time. Um, well, that's you know that's the example. That's the idea that they're hoping that with Kelsey Grammer you can recreate that magic that that is out there. Um, you know, I, I remember I talking about this several months ago. I, I used to like that '70s show. You know, that used to air on on Fox. And they brought that back for a ten-episode limited series. That I think it was on Netflix, but I could be incorrect. It could have been one on one of the other streaming service, Netflix or not. Yeah, and it was. I was kind of excited because I sort of watched the show, and they tried to. They tried. They they took the the parents, and then in this case, it was like one of the kid, the grandkids and stuff. And it it just it was okay but it wouldn't wasn't anything, I don't think it was, it was okay. That's what I would say. It was okay if they had just left it and not brought it back, things would, would it would have been just absolutely fine. It, it, my big beef with a lot of a lot of TV shows is that you have an idea. It's a great idea. And then instead of just letting the idea run its course, you end up repeating yourself over and over again. And TV shows just run way too long um, because you go, oh, I really like The Sopranos. But, you know, season six was pretty much identical to what season two really was, except they kind of changed some of the characters' names. So that's one of my beefs. I think, you know, it's it's best to know when something has been a success and then kind of move on. Having said that, Um, Sometime, I don't know I'm going to do it Thursday night, but sometime over the weekend, I know I'm definitely, I got Paramount, so I know I'm definitely going to check in on the first two episodes of Frasier and see how it works out.